Luke 9.37-45. Luke 9.37-45. We are working our way slowly but surely through the book of Luke. Luke 9.37-45 today. It says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for, we thank you for the book of Luke. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the book of Luke. We thank you for this particular passage. Uh, we pray that you would encourage us with it. Uh, do a good work in our hearts and in our lives through it, um, by your Spirit this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, last week, last week it was good. It was a good moment for Jesus. He's up on the, he's up on the mountain and, and He's in all of His glory. Remember, the, He's up on the mountain and, and his, his face, his, his whole appearance is transfigured for just a few moments. And everybody that's up on the mountain, Moses and Elijah, and then Peter and James and John, they see the, the actual glory of Christ. They see how glorious Jesus is going to, to appear to everyone in the end. When Jesus makes Himself known in the end. When He returns in power and glory... And, and, and when he returns, he's going to make himself known to the entire world as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's, that's the day when there's not going to be any more sun. We won't need the sun because, because Jesus is the, is the lamp of the glory of God. It's going to, the glory of God is going to cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And, and, and the, the disciples, those three disciples and, and Elijah and Moses got just like a, like a small commercial for that. A small preview of that. It was a glorious moment for Jesus. How, how wonderful must it have been for Jesus? I think about this from Jesus' point of view for just a few minutes. How wonderful and affirming and just assure, like the assurance that, that Jesus Himself received on that mountain when when. when they saw His glory and then God the Father said from heaven, this is my Son. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. What a wonderful moment for Jesus. 
It's not that he lacked courage. It's not that he needed. I mean, he was going to do what he was going to do. Anyhow, he was going to obey the Father. He was going to bring glory to God through his obedience and through his sacrifice. Anyhow, but what a wonderful moment where God the Father um, just just publicly affirms Jesus once again. And they and the disciples see his glory for just a moment. Life was good up on that mountain. And then we read our verses today. And the next day, when they came down from the mountain, uh, Jesus comes back down to where you and I live, right? Where life is not that great. You've got the you've got the, the, the demon tormenting this boy. You've got the father who's just at his wit's end. You've got the disciples who can't do anything about it. You've got the crowd just kind of looking for a show, maybe poking fun at the, the, the at least the scribes and the Pharisees are poking fun at the disciples because they can't get the job done. You've got a mess. Jesus comes down to a mess. It reminds me, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we went up to uh, this little mountain up in the um, Upper Peninsula called Sugarloaf Mountain, and we climbed up, and it's beautiful. It's, it is just breathtaking. Um, it was a nice little hike, and then we got up there. My family, just we just loved it. It was, it was beautiful. We, we enjoyed creation, and, and up there, because it was just so nice, we enjoyed each other also. It was not very much complaining. It was just nice. It was just joy. And then we go back down the mountain, all eight of us back in that van, um, and then the only nature there is like your brother's stinky feet or, or a half-eaten granola bar you sat on. You're, you, you're back in real life. You know, you remember how annoying everyone is. You, you remember you've got your own selfishness, your own sin to fight against. Blech, let's go back up on the mountain. Life was good up there. It was nice. Down here. And then, and then we... We get in the van and we drive and we go to lunch and <laughs> um, our our waiter um, he was he had become convinced that he no longer should be a man anymore and he wanted to live as a woman and so he was so he was um, doing everything he could to present himself as a woman uh, but he was clearly a guy and so this was this was the first time. Um, some of my children had come that close to something that obvious, and uh, and so we had an interesting conversation about that afterwards. And that, that's not the talk I wanted to have with my eight-year-old son. Like, why do some people do this, and why is it rebellion against God, and and how sad it is, and all of this. And it was just I was like, man, we're just back in life. This is bad. I don't like this at all. I'm gonna go back up on the mountain. Life is easy up there. Just enjoy creation, enjoy each other. Up on the mountain, you could envision the glory of God filling the world. You could envision the new heavens and the new earth. It was just, it wasn't messy up there. It was just nice. You can kind of get it. Down the mountain, you know, where people like me and you live, that's no good. You have to ask yourself, why in the world would Jesus come down this mountain? He knows what's going to meet him at the foot of the mountain. He knows the crowd that's waiting for Him. He knows the mess. Why would Jesus come down this mountain? Three reasons. Our sermon this morning. Three reasons why Jesus came down the mountain. 
three reasons why Jesus came down the mountain from these verses. Number one, Jesus came down the mountain to care for a distraught father. I hope you... I hope you're encouraged by the love of Jesus as we think about this this morning. I hope that the, I hope that the care that Jesus has for <laughs> broken, faltering, failing people, I hope that it, it encourages you as we look at these verses together. Jesus came down the mountain to care for a distraught father. And you can feel it, right? In verse 38, when the the, the man from the crowd, the crowd cries out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. That's a weird thing. Luke likes to mention when it's someone's only child. It kind of ratchets up the emotions, doesn't it? And, and perhaps, perhaps it points us to, um, to our Heavenly Father and His only begotten Son as well. Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him. He foams at the mouth. It shatters him. It's like this spirit is throwing him on the ground and breaking him. It will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. This man is at the end of his rope. This is deep distress. The other Gospel writers tell us that, that this man and his wife, they were always afraid that this evil spirit, this demon, was going to throw their boy into a fire, into an open fire, or into, or into the water and drown him. They, they, were, they lived their life on edge. This is deep distress. I want you to see the heart of Jesus here. Jesus could have... He could have stayed up on the mountain and he could have been happy up there. It could have been good. He could have stayed up there stress-free, no people, nothing to deal with, but he comes down into this because he loves this distraught dad. I have a question for you this morning. I want you to think about this with me. Do, Do you have a child or a loved one who is who is suffering? at the hands of Satan, or at the hands of their own sin. 2 Corinthians, 4, um, 2 Corinthians 4 gives us insight into how Satan and his demons are working in, in, in 2021 northern Indiana. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, in 2 Corinthians 4 it says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, his demons, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we don't have a lot of, 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 of like Satan flinging people around and, and, and causing them to have seizures and convulsions in our part of the world. We don't have a lot of that. But in our town, in our county, our state, our nation, literally filled with stories of the God of this world blinding the minds of unbelievers. We've talked about this many times. Like, Satan doesn't... I don't think Satan knows who I am. Satan's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. I don't think, I don't think I'm a big, like, threat to him. I don't think he's worried about me. But, but I know his, his, his demons are everywhere and his lies are everywhere. His lies are everywhere. He's, he's masterfully 
filled this world through the influential people of this world and the, in the academic world and the, in the entertainment world. He has, he has, he has filled this world with his lies. They are everywhere. And the way that we are because of our sinful nature, if we don't, if we're not in Christ, if we're not, if we haven't been, if we haven't been born again, if we haven't been given a new heart, if we haven't been given the Spirit of God, if we're just kind of on our own, every single human we, we love the lies that Satan has spread because they line up so perfectly with our own sinful desires. And what we've noticed, and what you've noticed as you've cared for people, as you've loved people, as you've prayed for people, what you've noticed is that even when the lies of this world, even when believing them, brings all kinds of terrible consequences into the life of a loved one, they just keep going back for more. They go right back to believing the same garbage. It's so frustrating. And I, and, I, and I know, I know many of you are heartbroken about this very thing. You, you have people that you care for who are blinded by the God of this world. And you don't know what to do about it. I want to just remind you from this story, Jesus cares deeply for you in your distress. This is why Jesus came down from the mountain. He knows that you are distraught. He sees you in that. And He has come to care for you. It's the first reason why He came down the mountain came down the mountain to care for a distraught father. Number two, Jesus came down the mountain to war against Satan. Jesus came down the mountain to war against Satan. I, I want you to... So first of all, I wanted you to be, to be encouraged by the care that Jesus has for His people. But then I also want you to see here just how purely evil... Satan and his demons are. I want you to think about this. Think about what they're doing to this boy. And, and, uh, and one of the other gospel writers says that they've been, they've been tormenting him like this for years since he was just a very small child. Think about what these demons are doing. And they're just doing it for their own, for their own pleasure. They're just evil. I want you to think about that. Verse 39, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so he forms foams of the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Who does this? Why would you do this to a small child? What's your problem? Why? Unless you are just evil, why would you do this? My, my point is, sin is not neutral. The lies of Satan that are just so incredibly attractive. And they just fill the world. They're not neutral. I, I know that for some of you, it makes me, it makes you uncomfortable when I, when I call like, um, homosexuality a sin. When I, when I call transgender behavior a sin. Or when I call any of the many, many sins that scripture has listed for us, when I call them sin. 
Or when I, when I call out your own personal sin, you're, when you're, when you're addicted to pornography, or you're, you're, go, you're a gossip, or you, you're always talking about your husband or your wife behind their back, or you're filled with greed. When, when we call out each other's sins, I know it makes us uncomfortable. I don't like that. Stop being so judgy. What we have to see from Scripture is that, is that Evil is not, is not neutral. Sin is not neutral. Disobeying God is not neutral. It's not just like, well, they can just kind of choose that. They're doing their path. I'm doing my path. It's going to be fine for them. It's fine for me. No! Satan has created and crafted his lies. He, he wants to rip glory away from God, obviously. But then he also wants to hurt you. He's evil. The sin that he's tempting to you towards, the, the sin that we already kind of want because of our own sinful natures, it's not neutral. It's evil. Satan delights in bringing pain and misery, as much torture and ruin and misery as he can. He has limited time, he has limited resources, and he is putting them all in, in that pursuit. So we're not doing anyone any favors when we go easy on sin. We're not doing anyone any favors when we pretend that the lies of this world are are just whatever. This is why we have to go to war. This is one of the many reasons why we have to go to war. Prayer is a battle. It is hard to pray. I get so distracted. I get so sleepy. Every time the disciples fall asleep when Jesus is praying, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I would do too. I just like, ooh, nap time. And I just, I just, we get, we get so distracted. We get, we, we get so just like busy. Prayer is a battle. Learning what the Bible says and what it means is a battle. Fellowshipping with other believers, growing with other believers, obedience, it is a bad, it's hard work. Jesus came down the mountain so that we could win those battles by His grace. Jesus recognizes that Satan is pure evil who wants to cause just as much pain as possible. Jesus recognizes that our sinful desires are going to take us, they're, they're, they're going to take us into misery and Torture. That is the end result of sin. So if you have a casual relationship with sin, if you have a casual relationship with the, the lies that Satan has let loose all over this world, if you're like, yeah, well, whatever, it's, then, then, then you have to recognize you are inviting pain and misery and ruin. Jesus came down the mountain to destroy the works of the devil. That Satan and his demons in their works are trying to destroy us. Jesus came down the mountain to destroy the works of the devil. So that's our second reason. Jesus came down the mountain to war against Satan. And then finally, Jesus came down the mountain to go up a hill. Jesus came down the mountain to go up a hill. These first two points... Um, this is where they find all of their strength. This is where they, this is by the way they find all of their resolution. This is, this is how Jesus shows his care for us. And this is how Jesus fully and finally defeats Satan and defeats our sin. It's this third point here. 
Jesus came down the mountain to go up a hill. I want to read all of our verses again. It says, On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the Spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, and here he's talking about just everybody. Because the, 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 the crowd, the disciples, everybody is just struggling to understand who he is. And what he has come to do. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? One commentator said, it's got to be so difficult for Jesus to be up on the mountain and just have that, that moment of glory with His Father and then come down to this where nobody gets it. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And then some of my favorite, verse, favorite words in the book of Luke so far. Bring your son here. I, I, I can base prayers on that. Bring your Son here. I can pray according to that. Verse 42, while He was coming, the, the demon threw Him to the ground and convulsed Him. So this, this demon wants to get his last, his last shots in. Even though he knows he's lost, he knows it's over, he wants to squeeze just a, just a little bit more pain into this poor boy's life. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. So all of the ways where that demon had brought pain to that boy, Jesus heals him and gave him back to his father. I love that. And the crowd loves it too. Verse 43, And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Like, this is awesome! Yeah! Woohoo! But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, These people don't get it. They don't get it. He says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So he's saying, you know what? Everybody loves me right now. Everybody loves me right now. That is going to turn. It's going to turn soon. Because these people, they love the the displays of power, but they do not understand what's going on. And the disciples don't either. And we'll see this in, 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 in a lot of clarity next week. We're going to look and, and just see just how much the disciples still don't get it. Verse 45, But they, the disciples, did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them. They, they didn't understand it because God hadn't opened their minds to understand. They, he, had, he had given them some understanding, but He had not given them all. So they, it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask Him about this saying. This is a fascinating passage. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. This is kind of like the, the story last week, the Transfiguration. There's a lot of stuff going on. One of the interesting things is that last week we saw Moses and Elijah on the mountain with Jesus. We saw that, right? And then we remember, you know, Moses and Elijah, they had their own moments of, of, of the glory of God on a mountain. I mean, they experienced the glory of God on a mountain themselves. And they also know something about coming down the mountain into a mess. If you remember Elijah, when he, on on Mount Carmel, he had this glorious moment with God where God sends down fire. 
from heaven. And, and, and God de- just demonstrates as clear as possible that He is the one true God. And that Elijah is the one true prophet. And, and then Baal is a complete sham. This false God. That, that all, these, all these prophets of Baal were tormenting Elijah and they were trying to spread their stuff all over, um, the, all over Israel. And Elijah stood up against the prophets of Baal and God, God just declared in this moment He is the one true God. It was this glorious moment. Then Elijah goes down the mountain. Life down the mountain stinks. The wicked queen of Israel has sent out her men, sent out her soldiers, and they are hunting him down. They're hunting Elijah down, so he ends up hiding in a cave. Life down the mountain is frustrating. Moses had a glorious moment on Mount Sinai with God. He comes down the mountain, and the people are worshiping a golden cow that they had crafted. He has this moment on, on, on this glorious moment on Mount Sinai with God. He receives the law. It's this beautiful, beautiful time with God. He goes down the mountain and people are worshiping a cow. Ugh. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses is talking about this, he uses the same exact language Jesus uses. He says in, the, in Deuteronomy 32.5, those people, that, that they are a crooked and twisted generation. It's the same as this faithless and twisted generation that Jesus is calling out in His day. Only it's worse in Jesus' day. Because, I mean, in the days of Moses and Elijah, they were the prophets of God. They were the servants of God. And so when you, when you, um, when you rejected them, you were rejecting the Word of God. It's, it's even worse though in Jesus' day because Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. And this faithless and twisted generation is about to reject Him. And so He captures that powerfully in verses 43 and 44, doesn't He? And so they're all astonished at the things He has done. But while they're marveling at everything He was doing, I, so I don't think it's just this um, casting out this demon from this boy and healing him. I think it's I think it's Jesus's like just track record, his resume. They they've seen Jesus do a lot of stuff, so they're marveling at everything he was doing. Jesus says to his disciples, "Let these words sink into your heart, into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men." Jesus knows that pretty soon he's going to be betrayed. He will be arrested. He he's going to come down this mountain. He is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and he is going to go up a hill. He's going to go up a hill called Golgotha, where he will be crucified and killed. This is why Jesus came down this mountain so that he could go up that hill. So he says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. And, and they don't. And we'll see next week, those words have not sunk into their ears. They are going to struggle. But they're going to get it soon. Soon, God is going to open up their eyes. And the, and like the end of Luke, the, the, the end of Luke, they're, they're going to say, our hearts burned within us. They, they understood fully and finally who Jesus was. And their hearts burned within them. They're going to get it. They're going to realize why Jesus came down that mountain. It wasn't simply to cast out this one demon and to heal this boy. That wasn't the end goal. That was simply a sign. It was a preview. It was a foretaste of what it would be like in the end when Jesus makes all things new. Don't we love the scene where where Jesus rebukes this demon? I love Jesus rebukes the demon. Then He heals the boy. All of the ways 
all the ways that that demon had tormented this poor boy, all of the ways, Jesus makes him whole and then he hands him back to his father. Is there a cooler scene than that? That is what it's going to be in the end. When Jesus says, I make all things new, he's going to, he's going to heal you of all the ways that you have ruined yourself through your sin, that other people have ruined you because of you, because of their sin, all of the ways, because we are, we are sinned against and sinning. I, I am beaten up because of my own sin, and I am beaten up because of the sins of others. Jesus is going to make us new. All the ways we are sad and broken and deficient, Jesus is going to heal us. And He's going to give us to the Father. It's going to be a good day. This is a preview of that. And how does Jesus accomplish this? Colossians 2 tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which just means you were, you were not believers. In the, in the depths of your heart, you were not believers. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the, 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 the demons, the, the powers of this world. He disarmed the, the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. On the cross, Jesus canceled the record of death that stood against us. And He disarmed anyone who would accuse us, anyone who would tempt, tempt us, anyone who would put us to shame. He put them to shame, triumphing over them. I love the way Jesus comes down this mountain. He comes right down into this mess. It's kind of like when he, when he tells that, that little girl, that little 12-year-old girl, get up. Somebody give her some food. Get up. Get up. And then he, and then he says to the storm, shut up. Peace be still. And he tells that, that woman, go, go your way. Your, your, your sins are forgiven. I, I love the way Jesus just comes in and says, bring your son here. Jesus says, I'm taking over now. I remember my siblings and I, it was always their fault, but every once in a while we would be, we would be, we would get into a fight and, um, and, uh, and it would usually be two against one because there, there was, there was three of us that were kind of close in age. The other ones were, um, just elsewhere by the time I was really getting good at fighting with my siblings. They were gone, so they didn't really get the best, you know, the highlights. So anyhow, um, so we would be going at it, and it wasn't my fault ever. And my, my dad would come in the room, and it'd be over. It was just over. Suddenly, we weren't fighting anymore. Suddenly, all the stuff I cared about, you know, really the, the point I had to prove, it was over. <laughs> um, I remember one time, we were, all, we were all fighting, and he said, and he came in the room, he says, okay, who, who wants, who, and so sorry if this, I just sorry if this offends you. Um, take it up with my dad. Uh, he says, "Who wants a spanking first? And we're just quiet, like just just quiet. No one was volunteering. In fact, all of us loved each other again. It was good. <laughs> it was good. My dad just fixed it. This is, this, is, this is the voice of authority comes into the room, and suddenly no more chaos. Jesus says, bring your son here. 
And that's what he's saying to, to us as well, because we do, like I said earlier, we've got people, we're, we're heartbroken over. We've got, we've got people we're concerned about. We have, we have loved ones who are blinded by the lies of Satan because those lies dovetail so perfectly with their own sinful nature. Bring those people to Jesus. Which, which just simply means you, you pray for them. You pray every day for them. You don't give up. You keep praying for them. And then you look hard for opportunities to tell them the Gospel. You don't, you don't say, well, if opportunity comes up, if they ask, hey, you know, what about Jesus? Then I'll talk to Him. No, you look hard for ways where you can wedge into conversations Jesus and His Gospel. You look for ways where you can, you can tell them their sin is going to bring them nothing but misery. And it's not just misery here on this earth. It's eternal misery. They're going to be separated from God. They're going to be punished by Him in hell. You, you tell them that Jesus paid for their sin. On that cross, He came down the mountain. He didn't just come down the, the mountain of transfiguration. He came from heaven to be born as a human, to live a perfect life, to die in our place. So that our sins could be paid for. So that we could be forgiven. Pray for your loved one and you tell them the Gospel. And then you remember this week because I, I mean, we know we don't live up on the mountain. We live, we live down with the people, right? We, we live with, in the midst of our own sin, our own temptation, our own struggles that we are facing, we are fighting, we got enough to deal with. If it was just us all by ourselves, we'd still figure out ways to sin, right? But, but, but then you throw in other sinners and it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard. We got people we're broken heart, hearted over. We got our own stuff we're trying to fight against. Let's remember Jesus came down the mountain right into where we live. So he could, he could care for us in our distress. So he could go to war against Satan. And so that he could go up that hill called Golgotha where he would, where he would cancel the debt that stood against us. And he would disarm anyone who would want to put us to shame. He would put them to open shame. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these verses. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.